I want to talk to you this morning about a, a verse or a, a concept which is in, in Scripture, which has come to massive prevalence over the last couple of years. You'll have heard it. It's the phrase, do not forsake meeting together. Never for so long have I heard that phrase being mentioned by preachers and by congregation members. Uh, sometimes I've heard it used by congregation members who wanted their churches to reopen and knocking on the door of their pastor saying, come on, the Bible says we should not forsake meeting together. What you do in closing our churches? I've heard it used by pastors who were there trying to get the congregation back. Come on, say, look, do not forsake the meeting of the saints. Come back to church. Come back to community. But as usual, when a phrase or a verse is used like this, it is normally used out of context, completely devoid of the meaning that it ever had. And what it normally is, because this is how we use Bible verses, let's be honest, Christians, church, is we have an opinion about something. We find a Bible verse that seems to fit with our opinion, and then we use it to bash everyone over their head until they think like we do, whether that actual verse means what it means or not. So I want to uh, look into a bit of what does it mean to not forsake meeting together. It's found, this, this, this verse is found in Hebrews 10. So if you've got a Bible, please turn to Hebrews 10. It will be very useful. But let me give you the context of the book of Hebrews before I even delve into any of the text. This letter to the Hebrews is written to Jewish people, hence Hebrews, Jewish people who are Christians, they have grown up worshipping Yahweh and they have now met Jesus and now believe that Jesus is their Messiah. To them they have not converted to Christianity, they've just found their Messiah, They're in the, they haven't changed anything. But because they have confessed that Jesus is Lord, they are now being heavily persecuted. Some of them are being robbed because of their faith. Some of them are being slandered because they dare to say that Jesus is Lord. They've been kicked out of the synagogues where they still worship Yahweh. And they've been kicked out of the places that they used to worship Yahweh. They've been kicked out of the communities that they used to worship Yahweh together with. And they, the community is there hurting, persecuted, disillusioned, thinking this question. What have I gained by following Jesus? How is what I've got now better than what I had before? And they are looking back to how they used to worship God under Judaism, under the, the temple system, going, surely that was better. What have I gained by being a follower of Jesus? And so, we don't know who, wrote a letter to them. We say it's inspired by the Holy Spirit because it's scripture. But we don't know who the person was who wrote the letter. But anyway, he writes a letter to this group of people saying, don't give up on what you found. Jesus is so much greater than what you've left behind. The promise that you have is so much greater than what you've given up. Do not go back to where you were before. Don't look back and think it was great before. Carry on following Jesus. And so this book of Hebrews is probably one of the most Jesus-centric books in the, in the New Testament. Where it teaches you to fix your eyes on Jesus. We're going to pick up 
on what is being said to them in chapter 10 and verse 19, where the writer says this. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What does the book of Hebrews say to these people? It says, don't look back. Don't look to what you had. Because what you have now is something greater. Don't envy those who have high priests who, who serve and worship on their behalf. Don't look to the temple system. Don't look to the religion that was there which you used to connect into. You have got something greater. You do not need a human priest. You have Jesus as your high priest. And unlike the people who are att attending temple, you don't just go into a court and some someone does something to go into the Holy of Holies. You get to walk right into the throne room of God. That is your inheritance by believing in Jesus. This is so much higher than, than resting on priests for your connection with God. And something more, the sacrifice that you have with Jesus dying on the cross is so much greater than any other sacrifice that is committed in that temple. They're all temporary. You have been washed clean. Hebrews, you have an encounter of worship. You have a relationship with God. You have a purity because of Jesus that far outweighs what you had. Don't look back. And then verse 23, Hebrews 10, 23 says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Another overused, can you overuse scripture? I'm not sure you can, you overuse scripture. Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he is your Lord, you will be saved. That's not just for salvation appeals. That's the one we normally hear it, isn't it? I can need to confess with Jesus is Lord, believe in my heart and then I'll go to heaven. The context of that is more, if you continue to confess that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you continue to confess that Jesus is Lord, you will be healed. You will be set free. You will be redeemed. You'll have breakthrough after breakthrough. You see, what you have when you believe in Jesus is you have access to Jesus, who is the name above all other names. You have power flowing through you. Power that's defeated sickness. Power that's defeated darkness. Jesus is Lord is an amazing statement to continually say over your family, especially in tough times, because you're bringing breakthrough. You're bringing healing and salvation. Salvation isn't a one-off event. It's a process. We don't stop saying Jesus is Lord because we think we've got to heaven. We continue saying Jesus is Lord until our problems are gone. So they've got access to the Holy of Holies, which they never had before. They are washed pure. They have a, the power that is above every other name. And then we get to verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate or stir, as some translations put it, one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see 
today drawing near. There you have it. That's what that verse is. Continuing to meet each other. The command, if you want to call it command, of gathering together is sandwiched between two things. Sounding very familiar things. Stir one another to good works and love. The other end of the sandwich is this, encourage each other. What is the context of meeting together? It's to love one another. It's to stir one another, to keep on the faith, to keep on the journey, keep going. Stir each other to do good works. Stir each other to love one another. Nowhere in Hebrews 10 does it mention music. Nowhere in Hebrews 10 does it say, gather together so you can have someone teach to you or preach to you. Now, I hope you're finding the preaching that I'm doing today and the preaching you get from this platform is encouraging and helping you to stir on with your faith. But it's very specific. One another. This is a one-way conversation. This is not two-way. We are to gather together to encourage each other to good works and to love. You see, I believe Hebrews is saying this. We have an incredible inheritance when we believe in Jesus. We can enter the Holy of Holies. We can go right before the throne room of God. We can worship him wherever we are. We don't need a temple. We can worship him in this building. We can worship him in our homes, in our workplaces. Wherever we go, we can access the throne room of God. We are washed clean. We have the name that is above every other name. And because of that, we need to encourage each other to good works and love. Church, we don't need a worship team. Nowhere in this it says that we need a worship team to get into the Holy of Holies. We don't need to rely on a priesthood, or let's put it into our language, a leadership team or a worship team to get us into the Holy of Holies. We can step right in. It's not the music which gets you into the Holy of Holies. It's the confidence in the blood of Jesus and what he did for us. We need to stop attending church and we need to start being the church. We need to stop attending worship and we need to start living a life of worship. We need to stop attending a show about Jesus and actually show the love of Jesus to whoever we meet. It's time for the show to end. And it's time for Jesus to shine through. To quote Martin Luther King, well, not to quote him, to plagiarize him. Church, I have a dream. But one day the church will not be judged by the quality of its worship team. Or the quality of its preaching. But by its character of his people I want to walk into a church and go Jesus is here not because I've heard the worship team uh, play out or because I've heard the preacher but because the people all around are just glowing Jesus a glowing love we've not reached it yet but I believe it's, it's possible Jesus said that the world will know me not when we have an amazing worship team not when we have amazing buildings not when we have a great light show 
though we don't have one anymore. Plainly, you will know, the world will know that you are my disciple when you love one another. Jared has already said it today. He said, we don't, what we need is Jesus. Jesus is our source. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our power. We need Jesus. But we also need each other. Love the Lord God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are the church. We are God's ambassadors. Not our programs, not our events. It's us. He is the name above all names, and He lives in us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. We are a gateway to heaven itself. Church, we need to stop relying on programs, on structures, on traditions on the ways that we've always done it. Church, we need to stop looking back to what's been before and instead look to Jesus for what is coming. It's quite interesting that the writer of Hebrews says this, we gather to encourage other to good works. He doesn't say we gather together to do our good work. I know some people, and probably no one here, that they go to church and they tick it off as that's my righteous act done for the week or the month, depending how, how much they turn up. <laughs> Coming to church is not our righteous act. Coming to a body of believers is not our righteous act. It is the place where we get encouraged to do good works. I have some people, you know, I've, I've heard them before, and they say, Tell me how I can serve God. And what they mean is this. How can I serve God in the church? What team do I need to join? And I'm thinking, but we come to church to encourage you to do your good works outside the church. How can you do your good works in your office? How can you do your good works in your family? How can you do your good works in your school? How can you do your good works in your street? This is not our righteous act. This is the springboard to many righteous acts. I said in 2020, um, I, I, I didn't say it very confidently because I said I believe that or I think that the mega church is dead. What I'm seeing seems to agree with that. What do I mean by the mega church is dead? I don't mean big churches are dead. I mean, there's a type of church that has been growing up, especially before uh, 2020, where it is based on a show, where it is based on putting the best worship team we can put up, getting an amazing greeting team, getting an amazing uh, preaching team, getting all the graphics done, a church that is very dependent on staff, a church that is very dependent on volunteers' time. A church which is, on, is always go, 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 vision, 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 projects, pipelines, organizations, creating a great show about Jesus. But I think the show's come to an end. And what the world wants is reality and not a show.
And I, as a, as a, as a church leader, am, am feeling a, a pang of conviction that maybe we've been teaching our people wrong. But we've been taking up their valuable time and resources to resource the machine of church rather than allowing them to go into the world and do their good works. Rather than giving them the time to love one another. You see, our good works never says it in Scripture that it's be part of a worship team. Never says it's be part of a stewarding team or anything else that we're doing here. The good works that Jesus talks about in the sheep and the goats is seeing the people in the prison, feeding the poor, clothing those who don't have clothes, meeting people's needs. And I wonder if we substituted righteous acts for helping my church run, and please, we need teams, rather than actually meeting the needs of our communities because it's easier. I'll try. I believe that we have substituted volunteering, working for churches to keep the machine of church going rather than meeting the needs of our community, which is what Jesus asked us to do. It seems righteous. It seems spiritual. It seems the holy thing to do. And yet Jesus said, go feed the poor. Not have great services. There is no, it's amazing me when I go to leadership conferences and there's not many Bible scriptures on how to have great services or how to run great churches. We make up, we, we get a Bible scripture and we try and make it fit like most of us do. And yet Jesus is very clear. Go into all the world. Make disciples. What is making disciples? It's encouraging people, stirring people on to good works and to loving others. It's Hebrews 10. Make disciples. Meet the needs of the poor. Meet the needs of the people around you. I know because I, I listen to quite a few uh, political podcasts and things like that. And I know that one of the things, especially conspiracy kind of stuff, people could complaining about is the mainstream media and how messages are being put through from the mainstream media. And I hear it from the left and I hear it from the right. I hear it from pretty much every side. Everyone thinks that the mainstream media is against them, which is odd. And I think that we have, <laughs> this, this, this is where I think people are losing their political debate and, leave, and losing arguments. The fact is, many young people never encounter mainstream media. Most young people don't listen to the BBC or watch the BBC or ITV, or Channel 4, or any of the others. Where are they getting their media from? Where are they getting their information from? TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. That's what they're addicted to. That's the screen they're addicted to, not this mainstream media, whatever conspiracy lark that there is. I think that the church has also missed a trick. I think that we're still fighting yesterday's war. We're putting on great shows because we're competing with the music industry, because we're competing with Hollywood, not realising that both those two things are in decline. The big show has disappeared. The younger generation coming through, the teenagers, aren't so bothered about the big show. 
they're not bothered about the great production. I mean, watch some of the YouTube videos and TikTok videos they, they, they have. It's just pretty much someone on the phone talking utter, utter garbage with terrible lighting. With, there's no production value in it at all, and yet they're hooked to it. The young people are after reality, not a show. And the more that we make church a show, the more we're going to lose our young people. I see something else rising up which is dangerous. Groups of ideology. Left wing, right wing, whatever wing it is. And do you know what? They have no production. I've heard some of their music. It's terrible. You wouldn't even have it in a 1990s worship band in church. It's so bad. And yet the kids sing it. The young people sing it. It was never about the quality of the song. I've listened to some of these street preachers as they, as they uh, spouse their lies. They don't even know how to write a speech. They don't know how to preach. And yet people are lapping up. Why? Because they want the content. They're not so bothered about the presentation. What have they found? Why, why are these small groups of ideologies growing up and growing up with our young people all over the place? It's because they found a family. They found a tribe. They found people who know them. They, know, they found a place where they can be accepted. They found a place where they feel safe. And they just get continual bombardment of their message over and over again. I believe this. If we're going to reach our young people in this generation, it's never going to be about the show. But we can reach them with family. We can reach them with love. We can reach them with good works. We can reach them with a hug. We can reach them with spending time with them. The world has changed. It's not a show. It's real life. It's family. It's doing the hard graft, not just pretending that you have and putting it on your website or putting it on your Twitter account or putting it on your Instagram account. It's the real work of, of good works and love. I moved to, to Hull in 1996. I'm just going to tell you, tell you something of my life so you, you get something. I moved to Hull in 1996 to study at Hull Uni. Um, and I found this church. It wasn't called Revive then. It was called New Life Christian Fellowship Centre. I can't remember. New Life something. Thank you, Christian Centre. New Life. New Life. And uh, I was one of those students who used to live in the Lawns Hall, which has now been closed down over there who would get up early on a Sunday morning while everyone else was in bed, meet at the bus stop to get the first ever bus with another group of, of students to come to, as it was, New Life. And we would get there on the earliest bus, getting up to a deserted uh, campus, well not campus, halls of residence with no one else there, everyone else thinking we're mad for getting up so early. We, we would get there to the bus stop for the first bus available so he'd go all the way from Cottingham up to Brillington Avenue and it was a bus which went everywhere, I can't even remember where it went. And we would arrive just in time to be 15 minutes late. <laughs> and what were we greeted with as, as we would hear as we come through the doors? Typical students. Always late to everything, out partying all night. Whereas the fact was, there were some other Christians, in, which I knew, which, um, which, which actually preferred new life, but they couldn't be bothered to get up that early. And uh, they also 
Uh, some of them even went to a different church. We started doing afternoon meetings because they had donuts and coffee and as many donuts as I liked. And I'm thinking, you, you're talking to the wrong students. We're here because we are, the, we are the dedicated ones. And yet because you don't know us, you think that we are slackers when actually we are the most dedicated of all students going to church that morning and getting up the earliest. But you just didn't know who I was. And that's probably because I would leave just as soon as the service ended and I'd arrive 15 minutes late to the start. There was another meeting that I would go to. You'll, you'll know, some of you will know these people, Bob and Pennell, Durden, in the house just over there. And I remember the first time I went to their uh, Sunday afternoon tea for students. And I was really nervous. I know how to walk into a church service like this. You can just sit on a row and, and just ignore everyone and you'll be all right normally. But I was being invited to go into someone else's house who I didn't know from a different church by a friend who said it would be all right. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen when I get to the door? And who, are, who is this Bob and Pennell? Are they weirdos? Are they, are they cranks? What are they going to do when I get in, in there? And am I really going to be accepted? Or are they just going to think I'm accepted and not really want me there? Anyway, it took me a few visits to find out that, no, they, they just loved any student come along who, who just wanted to be there, was, was welcome. They had no teaching. They had no worship team. They had, I don't want to say this to be... They had tea. It wasn't, it wasn't like a cordon bleu meal. It was, it was bread, cakes, jam, cheese, really generous, but it wasn't like you know, a massive banquet. And they had a carpet. Food and a carpet. And yet students would travel, would walk, would get taxis to be there. Would walk from, from Newland Ave area to get to Cottingham, to be in this community where there was robust conversations, where people were challenged that they weren't living right, where people were encouraged to go deeper in God. I know where the best teaching and the best worship experience was. It was in, in a service like this. But where was the best encouragement for me to love others and do good works? Where was my best encouragement to carry on walking in the faith? It was on the carpet with no teaching, but with robust conversations community. Do you know what else helped keep me on, on following God during my university days? I was, I was because of that carpet, that, that home, because of Christian Union, I knew other Christians. Which meant this, if I was getting drunk in a bar somewhere, other Christians would know because they knew me. Very easy for me to turn up to a church service having getting absolutely smashed on a Wednesday night and nobody in the church service to ever know that that was the case not so easy when you live in community with other Christians who you spent time with and you've, you know that you can challenge them. If I disappeared off the grid, they would know. I was living in a community which kept me walking the faith, which kept, me, kept my perspective on Jesus and kept encouraging me to do good works. When we read Hebrews 10... The next verse, which I haven't read yet, is verse 26, and it says this, For, that word could mean because, or the cause. Why am I telling you to meet together, to be encouraged? Because if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Why is it important that we are in community with each other so that we can talk to each other, so that we can correct each other, disciple one another? Because it stops us from sinning. Yeah. 
I remember uh, I, I really, we really got uh, daring. I remember at university, I, I was in a, we called it a prayer triplet. We didn't do much praying, we did this. We would meet weekly to confess sin. It wasn't, you're always a bit nervous turning up to that meeting, to be honest. An 18, a 19, and a 20-year-old guy meeting together, sharing what we'd been thinking about, what we'd been doing when no one else could see, was a very scary thing, and yet we had the confidence to do it. It is amazing how confessing your sin to someone else, or knowing you're going to have to confess your sin to someone else, keeps you on a straight and narrow, more than knowing that all-powerful God who can kill you with, with a thought knows everything. Is it biblical? Oh, yes, it is. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. I didn't hear that much said in the pandemic. <laughs> I don't hear that much preached from sermons. And to be honest, it's a very rare event that a confession of sin in a, in a meeting like this. And rightly so. Rightly so. Now, one thing which, which happened in the pandemic is we got to see, especially us at the front, what it's like to, to see a room full of people with masks on. You can't see what they're, if they're happy, if they're sad. And they, of course, they weren't talking. You didn't know if they agree with your point or not, or they're taking in. They might have been completely against you. You didn't know. It just felt like you were talking to a wall of eyes with no expression. The truth is, most of us are still coming through those doors with our masks on. I'll show you how it works. Hey, Joan, how's this week gone? How are you doing? You might have had a terrible week. You're not going to tell her, are you? Not unless you really know Joan. And rightly so. I wouldn't, if I've just had a massive argument with my wife, I'm not going to come. The you know, first person comes up to me, how are you really doing? Well, actually, I had a really bad argument in the car. I'm not going to tell you, am I? And rightly so. Jesus gave an amazing revelation to a Samaritan woman at the well. He says, but in the coming age, you can worship in spirit and truth. I.e., you can worship wherever you are. That's the spirit part. And you worship in truth. What does that mean? Truth does not mean, as, as many uh, Bible believers like to say, quoting scripture. That's not what that truth means. That truth, where truth means clarity, clearness. Practically, it means without the veil. We can worship God without a veil, where he's not hidden from us. And so when we worship God, we, we should come without a, a veil, without a mask. And I also believe that when we talk to one another, when we gather together, that mask needs to come down. Not with anyone, not with everybody, but there needs to be one or two people in your life that you can have proper conversations with. There needs to be one or two people in your life that you can be really honest with. Otherwise, how can we encourage each other to good works and love? How can we encourage each other to keep going on the fight if people don't know you're in a fight? Do not forsake meeting together. You can come into this room and you can forsake meeting with one another. You can turn up late. You cannot talk to anyone. You can always keep a mask on and not let anyone know what's really happening in your life. Not forsaking meeting each other, I don't believe, just means turning up. 
There are people who could not come because of their health reasons during the pandemic, who were ringing people up, who were having conversations, who were more connected to other people, other Christians than those attending church. You can be in a meeting and not be present. I, I know training sessions now, I, I, I've heard it. Make sure that when you're in the room, you're present. Have you heard that? Anyone heard that? Make sure when you're in the room, you're present. When you come to church, make sure that you're in the room and you're present. So, how do we respond to not forsaking the family? I'm going to give you some very practical things and I'm going to tell you how the church is responding. You'll know these. This is, this is like probably telling you how to suck eggs, but there we go. Number one, come earlier, stay later, come more often. Simple. I told you they'd be simple. Number two, engage in conversation with people. Now, if you're like me, uh, I struggle. I, I don't like talking to people. I've got to be honest, I don't. If I talk to you, you're honoured. Um, <laughs> I've had to learn how to have a conversation because I don't know how to have a conversation. I'm quite happy. I'm the person who, when you're in the car journey with me, I'm quite happy for it to be really quiet for the whole journey. I like it. I, I hate it when someone's, I know someone's just trying to make conversation. I'm thinking, shut up. Why do I want to talk rubbish? There's, a, there's an easy way to get in conversation. Start asking questions. Ask someone a question. I know when I, when I was touring around churches, helping different churches, I would ask questions I knew the answer to. Just so I'd start a conversation with someone. Where are the toilets? I've seen the toilets walking in, but I just thought if I ask what the toilets are, they have to respond to me, and then, and then I've already broken the ice, I'm going to talk to them later. Number three, encourage people. That's another way. Do you, do you know what people, people with children really love is when you encourage them, say, isn't your kid amazing? Even if that kid's 18 years old. <laughs> Number five, Join a team. How did I get connected into new life? I joined the worship team. I joined, I think there were connect groups at the time. That's how I got my connection. I went out with people who, who, who were going out for, for a meal. But join a team, whether it's kids, youth, stewarding, hospitality. Number six, go for a coffee or have lunch with someone. There's a really good uh, cafe over there. I think it's called The Hummingbird. I went there after a service. They do a really good carvery. Well, it's not carvery. It's a roast dinner. They, you, it's really nice. It costs about 12 quid. So that might be a bit steep. But there's also an, a, another uh, restaurant up there called Pasco's. There's, uh, there's plenty of places to eat in Cottingham. Why not, with someone you know, invite them to go out for lunch after, after service? Or go for a coffee during the week? Number seven. I said these would be easy. Make a point of saying hello to your pastor. <laughs> Just go up to him and say, they have to talk to you. If you know your pastor, if you, haven't, if you haven't got a pastor yet, don't worry, we're going to do a welcome lunch soon and you'll get a pastor. Talk to your pastor. They'll get you connected in. Even if you, you chew their ear off, they'll find someone else that you can talk to. So that's one way to do it. Take part in social events, especially if you don't know anyone. I've got to be honest, when I first started in, in As It Was New Life, I remember they're having like uh, share, bringing share lunches after, after service. Not knowing anyone, that's the last place I'd want to be it was probably the best place I could have been. Forcing myself to have conversations, even feel like I didn't be there. Number nine, come to the 714. That is a great community building up in the 714 of people who just love praying or people who just want to be there. 
The last one I've got is here is DIY. Don't wait for leadership. Do it yourself. We can engineer groups. We can engineer circles. But do you know what? When we do that, people complain because we put the wrong people in the wrong groups. Do it yourself. Don't wait for us. We will do stuff, but do it yourself. How is the church responding? Well, you've seen it already. Our show has diminished. Where's the show gone? It kind of disappeared. We set up pastoral houses, trying to build community within, within small groups. You may not get on with the people in your pastoral house. You may get on with other people better. Great. But it's there if, if you want it. We did family gatherings. Uh, I'm not quite sure what happened in here, but in Hessel, I know one of the biggest complaints I've got in Hessel is because I kept getting people to have discussions. And I know it was a terrible room to do it, and it was really noisy, but the reason I kept people to having discussions is because when you're in a group, the same people week after week, you can start to encourage them to do good works, whether it's for a Bible study, that was my aim, to encourage people to do good works, to talk to each other. Third thing, or is it the fourth thing? doesn't really matter. I think, yeah, I've got them the wrong way around. doesn't matter. We are setting up this campus and a Kingswood campus. Why? Because there's just something about when it's smaller. I remember when, when we used to be in Winifred Holtby. And uh, I'd been on the road for, for a few months and I was given a welcome pack as a new, new, new person coming into the church. I thought that was amazing. The, work, the person was doing the right thing. I then got up and hosted the meeting, which I'm, probably wasn't great for their... Anyway. But every smaller church I went to knew exactly what I was doing. I had people coming to it. I thought you'd left the church. Why? Because it was too big to have personal relationships. It's too big for everyone to know who I was and what I was doing. The other thing we're doing is this. We have a dream of a HQ. A place where you could come seven days a week to meet together, to pray, to have coffee, to encourage each other to good works, to encourage each other in love, to encourage people to keep going on their walk with God. I see the church, and I see this is my, my vision of the church going forward. I see a massive church. I see an incredibly big church, a church of thousands. But it's made up of smaller circles all over the place. Circles which know each other, which love each other. Circles of smaller circles that encourage each other to do good works. So people talking to one another in those circles about how was your day at work? How did you get on with this colleague that you were struggling with? How, how is your mum? How is she getting through, through that treatment? Circles, smaller circles of people who know each other. Making one massive church. I see a church where rather than, <laughs> rather than the stewarding team showing you how that we love you, but the people in the room love everyone who walks through the door. I see a church where the power of miracles and healings comes from the body, not from the front. I see a church where, where people are encouraged in their walk with God because of the person they sat next to, because of a prophecy or an encouraging word that they, they had, rather than necessarily from something that came from the platform. I want this church to be massive. I also want this church to be very small. It's just something about when you get into smaller groups that you can have real relationships. I want to see us worshipping in spirit and in truth 
not because we've got an amazing, we, we've, we've got an amazing worship team or we've got an amazing preacher, but because Jesus lives inside of us. Jared said, right at the start, what do we need? We need Jesus. And we need each other. Some of us have convinced ourselves that all we need is Jesus. We need each other. We need to talk to each other. We need to love each other. We need to know one another. So, I'm going to finish the meeting with about four minutes to go. I'll just do, I'll just do the notices in a bit. And then you've got four minutes before the children's work finishes. So why not chat to the person next to you? Why not chat to someone across the room? I don't, go, I don't want to organise it. I want it to be organic. I, I know some people are just going to walk out because they think the meeting's ended. <laughs> but I'd love us just to start talking and communicating with us. Some of you do it already. Notices, 7.14, prayer meeting is going to be eternal benefits. Is there anything else? Yeah. That was great, wasn't it? Thank Chris. You know, um, I think sometimes we falsely think that meet is when we do all the Greek and Hebrew. Actually, meet is when you're sat there going, ooh, ow, change. That's meet, right? Amen. And that was really meaty, Chris. Outstanding. Sorry that I was the chief heckler, but... There was some great lines there. Yes, 7.14 on Wednesday at Eternal Benefits. And um, next Sunday, we are in Heseltown Hall, not here.